0: Good morning, Bethel. Hey, there's a microphone. I could probably sing something for you. You wouldn't like that, I can assure you. People ask me, you ever do anything musical at church? I see if I'm doing something musical, something horrible has gone wrong. Because I have no musical ability. Well, good morning. What a great morning, eh? The sun's shining and uh, spring, you, almost, you can almost feel spring's kind of in the air. Uh, I guess if you're a skier or a snowmobiler, you're probably feeling a bit crushed this year, but uh, I'm neither of those, so I'm feeling great. Let's pray and then we're going to jump in. Father God, as we have sung our holy Christ alone. And so we're grateful for that. And uh, we look to you this morning. May you minister to us and in us. May you encourage the discouraged, May you clarify the confused. May you bring hope to those this morning who feel hopeless. May you bring correction to those who are headed in the wrong direction. And so we invite you, we sit at your feet, and we have come to hear from you. Your servant acknowledges which you already know that he's neither capable nor worthy of the task at hand. So, Father, help me anoint my lips, clarify my thinking this day. May we learn wonderful things from your word. It's in Christ's name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 12. This is our last uh, week in the book of Acts, and then uh, I won't be with you for the next couple of weeks. I think uh, maybe Nate or uh, Josh or somebody's preaching, so that'll be wonderful, and uh, And uh, so I will be gone. We're starting a new series next week. But uh, we want to conclude this uh, series you've been in in Acts with Acts chapter 12 this morning. And I want to talk to you about lessons on the road to freedom, because we've been talking over these last several weeks about the expansion of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God breaking forth past just the Jewish people, but uh, to God-fearers, remember Cornelius back in Acts chapter 10, and then to total pagans, the folks in Antioch, and we see this incremental expansion of the kingdom of God. And we rejoice in that, because ultimately the gospel reached us. Amen? Amen. Because the kingdom, the gospel reached us. Amen? Amen. Okay. (laughs) If you don't believe that, you should be at Denny's this morning, not here. I mean, you know, that's what we believe. The gospel has come to us. The gospel has come to us. And so now we all of a sudden see a speed bump in the expansion of the kingdom of God when we get to Acts chapter 12. So my message this morning is called Lessons on the Road to Freedom. Let's hear the word of the Lord. We'll begin to read at verse 1, and then we will pack, unpack this as we go. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. That is almost understated. Herod is not happy with the expansion of the church because it's agitated the Jews, and one of Herod's primary responsibilities in life is self-preservation, and he does that by way of keeping the Jewish people happy so that Rome is happy with Herod's work. And so what does he do? Verse number 2, he killed James, the brother of John. James and John, sons of thunder. Apparently they didn't have an inside voice. Kind of boisterous, loud. A couple of the first disciples that were called, fishermen. And all of a sudden, James is killed by way of Herod's command. With the sword. And this is not likely a beheading, it's likely a sword through him, which is often done in the ancient days because of sedition. And that's likely what they did. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, and it pleased the Jews because the Jews had the franchise on God. And remember, they didn't like the idea that somebody could get to God by way of Christianity and not come through Judaism. If they don't come through Judaism, are we going to be uh, viewed as obsolete and insignificant? Are we going to be the religious eight-track tape? you got to be old to know that. But they're not happy about what's going on with this expansion of the church. And now to pagans in Antioch, no less. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in... Pardon me, this is Peter... He proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers, which is probably 16 soldiers, to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out to the people. So the gospel is moving out. There's there's no need to go through Judaism. In other words, if you're an adult male and you want to become a Christian, you don't have to go through circumcision, to which all the men say, amen but that's part of it. I'm not being facetious. That is part of it. These things that they have held dear as Jews, and they're feeling threatened. And Herod, this politician, he wants to keep them happy. So he goes and he arrests James, kills James, and he arrests Peter with the same fate planned for Peter that James experienced. But Peter is held because Herod is a smart enough politician to know that the last thing he wants to do is deal with peter during the religious days now let me give you two foundational realities for followers of christ that come out of what we're going to witness here that are imperative for us today and the first one is this truth brings trouble truth brings trouble get that on a plaque and put it up in your kitchen parents When I was pastoring, I used to almost want to go crazy when parents said, now, if you did that bad thing, then tell dad, because truth is always the best. Actually, no, it isn't, because if you say you did it, you're probably going to be in big trouble, (laughs) right? Truth is always the best ultimately, but sometimes it's not the best immediately, right? You know that, gentlemen, if your wife has ever said, Boy, do I look heavy-set in this dress? Now, how do you answer that, wives? If you've ever said to your husband, you know, you know, Harold, uh, why is it that every other lawn on the street looks better than yours? Now, that might be true, but it's going to bring trouble. Truth brings trouble. For Peter, what was the truth that brought trouble for he and James? Well, go back to Acts chapter 2. Just turn back to Acts chapter 2. Just, let's just look. What's the truth that brought, brought trouble for these guys? Of course, this it's the uh, Pentecost. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come. Peter, filled with the Spirit now, preaches. Look at verse 29. We'll just start there. This is Peter preaching at Pentecost. Brothers, I may say to you with, with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and in his tomb is with us to this day. And they go, yep, that's correct, right? Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Now the Jews are going to start saying, I eh, don't like where this is headed. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens. He himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all of the house of Israel, all you Jewish people, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you murdered. That's the truth. And it brought trouble. It brought trouble. The truth always brings trouble. It brings many good things as well. Look down to chapter 3, if you will. Verse number 5. Here's truth. This is the story of the lame beggar that was healed, of course. And uh, in fact, look back, if you will, to verse 4. And Peter Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And he took him by the right hand. And what does he say to him? He says to him, in the name of Christ, rise up and walk. Gives them truth. But that doesn't go so well, right? Because down in verse 12, it says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. The people kind of rise up. And again, he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though it's our own power? It's not our own power or piety. We've made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. No, 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 Peter. They're not going to like that. And they don't. Bethel, let me tell you this. Let me ask you a question first. Is Bethel Baptist Church in Strathroy committed to truth? It's not a trick question. Are you committed to truth? That was four of you are. (laughs) Bethel Baptist Church, are you committed to truth? It's going to bring trouble. It's going to bring trouble. I'm telling you, it's going to bring trouble. And in fact, mark my words, in the days ahead, a church that doesn't have any trouble will be a church with too little truth. Guaranteed. Because truth brings trouble. And you have to decide and draw a line in the sand and say, this is where we stand. Now, even though sometimes truth is not the best thing immediately, it's the best thing ultimately. And why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, from his lips, said, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because without the truth of Jesus, there's no freedom. We saw it in the video, Dave, this morning. There's no freedom. There's no freedom. So foundational, truth's going to bring trouble. Secondly, and it ties in, and I've already sort of opened the curtain on this, don't confuse immediate benefit with ultimate blessing. Right? Uh, We think if we do certain things, we'll get the immediate benefit. It's because we live in this microwave world. We've got to have everything right away. Uh, Some of you may remember, oh, it's probably 20 years ago, uh, Robin Williams had a movie out. And all the kids, teenagers at the time, were saying two-word phrases. Does anybody know what the phrase was? Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Now, it actually means pluck the day. Grab a hold of the day. Most literal in the Latin. And so what that leads to, that seize the day, if you're not very circumspect, it leads to ultimately complete and total pragmatism. I have to live in the immediate. In fact, Horus, the, the phrase in the Latin is carpe diem qua minimum credula postero, which means seize the day because why? life. Because you cannot leave to chance the future. You, you don't know what the future brings. You have no trust in the future. You seize the day. And so we have to do everything today because we have to seize the immediate. The blessings are need to be found in the immediate. But the word of God says, in fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and we quote this often, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will do what? He's going to complete it. He's going to see it through. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, how many memorize that in Sunday school? Maybe trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not what? On your own understanding, and in always what, acknowledge Him, and He will do what. He'll direct your path. In other words, we walk by faith, not by. Sometimes things don't make sense. In the immediate, you go, man, this doesn't make sense. So be ready, church, to trust in the ultimate blessing of telling the truth and being people of truth. And then walk by faith and not by sight. Let's move down to verse number five. Let's see what happened to Peter. That's the foundation. We've laid the the cornerstone of where we're headed. What's happened to Peter? So Peter, verse five, was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him, remember that, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, why was he bringing him out? To be killed. On that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Verse 7, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and lightly shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. We're going. We're leaving. And the chains fell off of his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And so he did, and he said to him, Wrap up your cloak around you and follow me. Peter's kind of in a probably a haze, right? And when he went out and followed him, he did not know what was being done. By the angel was real, and he thought he was seeing a vision. Am I really? What in the world's going on here? When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, like one of those doors at the grocery store, right? And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Immediately the angel left him. Now, what are some things we need to learn on the road to freedom from what we've just read? The first one is this, friends. Deliverance often comes later than we'd like. Some of you here this morning, you are being held hostage by a career that is frustrating and and agonizing and Monday morning is tomorrow and you're like oh if I could just get out of this some of you are here and you've got relationships that are caustic and have gone sour and you're saying oh, how do I figure this out and fix this some of you are here this morning you've got health issues and you are held hostage by a health issue that is more than you can figure out, understand, comprehend. Some of you have, maybe have mental health struggles today, and you're like, Lord, I, I, I'm in a prison. I'm held hostage. By... Please deliver me from this. I want you to notice, deliverance often comes later than we like. Passover, let me give you context on timing. Passover is a meal held, I think most of you know that, on the, f- properly, Passover, it's often extended, but it's technically a meal held on the 14th day of Nisan, Now, this is in the Hebrew calendar. It corresponds to March or April in our Gregorian calendar. And it's obviously an annual celebration. And it's to allow people to remember what God did for them when he brought them out of Egypt, of course. The meal itself, in particular, is called the Seder. If you've ever been around Jewish people and and observed any of that, it's quite engaging, quite interesting. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts on the 15th day of Nisan. So the same month as Passover at twilight, and that goes for seven days. Now, why do I share that with you? Because Peter may have been in that prison for a, a week. It's conceivable he's been in there a week. This isn't a you know like going to jail, Peter, and you can get a you know get, call a bondsman and get bailed out in the morning. He's chained up to a bunch of guys, day in and day out. I wonder if one of the soldiers said to him, uh, "Hey, Peter, <laughs> we got news that tomorrow." Not going to be a good day for you, Peter, because it was the very night that he was to be brought out. Uh, Peter, the, mo- <laughs> you know, we don't know about your God thing, Peter, but you better pray to Him when you're persecuted and pressed and discouraged and disappointed. Deliverance can't come quick enough. Amen. Sometimes you say, God, man, please. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary statesman, said this, it's not ever lost time to wait on God. It's never lost time to wait on God. Of course, Corey Ten Boom, many of you have probably read her book. She had a famous saying. She said, God often gives the ticket right when the train comes into the station. But you're waiting. So Peter sits in silence in this prison. He's probably chained up to these guards, And he sits there day in, just sits there. And in silence, he waits. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and for a week, a month, a year, maybe longer, you have been feeling held hostage to something, and you're sitting, and you're waiting, and it's quiet and silent, and you might be feeling somewhere in your soul, God, are you out there? God, have you gone on holiday? God, do you even care? Because nothing is happening. And and I'm not hearing from you. I, I think my prayers must be hitting the ceiling. Where is the first temple in Scripture? I'll tell you where I think it is. I think it's the Garden of Eden. The imagery of the temple is God dwelling with his people being with his people. And we first see that in Genesis 1 through 3. Now, it goes bad. But it's where God comes with his people. In fact, when it goes bad, God actually says to Adam and Eve, what's the word he says? Three words, little sentence. Where are you? you're not here with me any longer. And then that temple theme gets expanded a little farther, right? And God initiates the building of the tabernacle, of course, and isolated sacrifices were oft offered to God there. And this was God's way of reversing to some regard, at least temporarily, the curse of the fall. Of course, sin, humanity's sin, has made it so that the holy God who made us could not dwell with us. We're separated from God's presence. But the Tabernacle is again this expression of God's goodness and mercy pursuing us. The psalmist writes, David, Psalm twenty three, six, this wonderful reality, and I shall dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. And that's the longing of our hearts and our souls. Thief on the cross, Jesus says, hey, you know what? Today you will be with me in what? Paradise. And people say, oh, it's paradise. It must be like Hawaii. No, no, it's not paradise because of the place. It's paradise because of the person you'll be there with, King Jesus. Now, why do I share all that background? Turn very quickly in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. I want you to see this. This has always been engaging to me, probably because I've went to Israel many times. A few of you have been there with me. But this is always engaging to me. This is the building of the temple. Chapter 6. First Kings, let me begin and read for you just a few verses. I want you to see something. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, because remember, David's not going to build the temple. It's going to be Solomon. Reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the what? House of the Lord. God's dwelling place. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. The vestibule, is, and he gives all this, and he made, you go down to verse 4, and he made for the house windows with recessed frames. He also built a structure against the wall of the house. I've got to get a bigger print Bible. I'm getting old. Running around the walls of the house, both the nave and the inner sanctuary, and he made also side chambers all around. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to look down to verse 7. We get all the architectural drawings out of the way. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. When the house was built, this is the structure proper. When the house was built, it was with stone prepared at the quarry. So somebody says, what size of stone do we need now? We need one two feet long, foot and a half wide, two feet tall. Okay, I'll, I'll call down, get on the cell phone, call down to the quarry, mort, chisel a stone this size. That's kind of how it worked. I mean, it wasn't with a cell phone, but they probably scribed something down, they went down. Chiseled at the quarry, look at this, comma, well, why would they do it? This is very interesting to me. So that neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron was heard in the house while it was being built. Listen carefully. I find that verse so interesting. God today is often building His presence quietly. Quietly. There's lots of fanfare. But God is building His kingdom whether we think we can hear it or not. His dwelling place amongst us. Some of you are here this morning and you're sitting in quietness and silence and you feel like you're held hostage and you maybe are discouraged and maybe even in despair. Let me encourage you, it could very well be that God is building his presence, his communion amongst you and in you quietly. Sit and rejoice in that. And be blessed by that because that's often how it happens. Deliverance often comes later than we'd like. But Remember Psalm 62, for God alone, O my soul, I wait in silence. I also want you to notice something else. Deliverance is not always what we envision. And if I don't go faster, I'm going to be delivered right out of here. <laughs> Deliverance is not always what we envision. Okay? About that time, King Herod, uh, about that, verse 1, where we started, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Very interesting. James died, Peter lived. Uh, do we not think that James's mother prayed? Oh, Lord, I know James, there's resistance coming. There's, there's upset. Uh, there's, there's, uh, protect James. God, I pray that he will protect James. I think she prayed that probably just as much as Peter's mother prayed that. Protect Peter. But James, whew, and Peter was delivered. Deliverance doesn't always come the way we envision it, does it? Deliverance is not always what we hope for. The reality is, folks, don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of this. Because if you do, when you have these, and we all have them, when you have a big-time why-God experience in your life, you're going to have struggle if you don't have this resolved in your mind. That deliverance is not always what we envision. Not always what we envision. James glorified God, I believe, in his death, and God allowed Peter to glorify him in his life. And ultimately, are you ready? We have to leave that with God. Is that easy to preach? Yeah. Is it tough to live? Yeah. Tough to live. Listen carefully, even when God doesn't do what I want, God is still God, and God is still good, and God is still sovereign, and I can trust him. Amen? Amen. Let me just tell you a quick story about that, where I saw this so evident probably early in my ministry. It was my first ministry assignment. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia. My wife Cheryl and I, and at that point we only had two children. But we were brand new in ministry and we moved down to Atlanta, Georgia, and we joined a church that some friends that were already in Atlanta said, hey, come to our church. So we went to our church and we ended up just loving this church. And uh, early on, family arrived there, almost the same time we did, called Smith family. And and, uh, they had three children, Caleb, Danielle, and the youngest was a young guy named Jesse, who at that time was about 14. And Art and Denise, we got kind of connected with them, we knew them. And Jesse was having some issues, some health issues and everything. And finally, they took him into Eggleston Children's Hospital, which is a world-class children's hospital in Atlanta. And he was diagnosed with a very serious brain tumor. And uh, they actually cut the skull off the top of his head and took out the tumor. But the surgeon said, there's still tumor in there. I can't go in there. It's entangled in the brain. We as a church, we went on our knees. And we petitioned God for healing and delivery and and that God would free Jesse of this. And and surgeries and putting the skull back together, unbelievable. But we prayed like crazy. But after about a year and a half the headaches came back. Worse than even before. And they finally took Jesse back in and they did some tests and they said, There's nothing we can do. This is inoperable. This is fast-growing. But we continued to pray. said, God. You know what Jesse prayed one night when he was at his very lowest? By this time, he was 16. At his very lowest, he prayed this. God, if I'm going to die, then use my death to allow some of my high school friends to come to Jesus. He prayed that. He meant it. And finally, a few months later, he went down and down and down and down, and finally he did die. About a week or two before he died, when he was still kind of salient, he said to his mom and dad, I want to have the funeral at the high school. And I want to have it on the baseball ball diamond. Now, high school sports in the U.S. South are not like high school sports here. The baseball diamond at the high school in the South looks like it's a major league field. It's got- fancy turf, and you can't go on it. You go on it, you're shot. <clears throat> Almost. Anyways, so Jesse said, uh, I want to have the funeral at the high school. His brother was a state champion baseball player, Caleb, his older brother, very gifted athlete. He said, I want all the kids to come. I want to have it at the school, and, and I, what I want you to do is to take my casket and put it on home plate And the theme of my funeral will be safe at home. 16 years, can you imagine that? So go ahead, Georgia, put that picture up. I want to show you a picture. So here is the funeral. On the left there you see about 3,000 people came to the funeral. The school said you can have the funeral here, but you can't have it during school hours, so we held it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So there's the funeral on the left. The picture on the right, you'll see a group of people in the outfield, and in the center, you'll see two heads sticking up. One of those heads is my head. The other head is a guy by the name of Brett Butler who used to play for the Atlanta Braves. Anybody know that name? Very committed Christian. And so we were tasked at the end of the funeral after they talked about Jesse being safe at home, that if you'd like to know the same piece that Jesse knows and that he's with Jesus, you go out to center field. And Brett said, let's go to center field because that's where I'm most comfortable. I've spent a lot of my life out in center field. So Brett and I went out there and gave the gospel to all of those people. And that picture, if you could see, expanded, and you'll see Caleb's baseball-playing teammates are out there. The red sweaters are football players. And we gave the gospel, and listen, dozens and dozens of people came to Jesus. Jesus. Praise the Lord. It was amazing. About a month later, that high school, Parkview High School, won the Quad A State Football Championship. A bunch of football players gave their lives to Christ, they won the Quad A State Football Championship. 15,000, 20,000 people in the stands. They bring in bleachers for these championships. They're so big. You know, and remember Friday Night Lights was the show? That's what it's like. High school football in the South. is unbelievable. At the end of that game when Parkview won, the local news, ABC News, went to the coach, and they said, what? How did you guys pull this off? You, you know, you're the underdogs here. You know what the coach said? He said, I don't know how we won, but he said, I'll tell you this. Jesus came into the center of my football team and changed everything. But that's not what we prayed. God, we prayed that Jesse would be healed. Sometimes you're delivered to glorify God in your life, and sometimes you're delivered and you'll glorify God in your death. That's the way it is. And you have to get your head around that. Finally, deliverance is beyond what we can achieve. Look at verse number 6. Herod was about to bring him out on that very night. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door. Peter's beyond his own ability to set himself free. Right? Uh, You know, that's what deliverance is about. You know what? I've actually had occurrences in my life where I've prayed, and I almost sense that God was saying, don't bug me with stuff you can do yourself, Adams. Because I've prayed, God, help the Wilson family. They're struggling financially. God, if you would help them. And God says, why don't you give them $100 and stop bugging me? Uh, You know? But there's times when we need God, right? Where it's well beyond our ability. And and, and we say, God, we need, you know, when we go and we pray for stuff that we can do ourselves in our own power or whatever, sometimes I feel like we're like a self-entitled toddler. Mom, I need you to, you can do that for yourself. But there's times when things are so beyond our ability. And that's a beautiful parallel for the gospel, isn't it? For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, right? Though perhaps a good person, one would die. But God shows his love for us in Romans, he says. And yet, while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. It was so beyond our ability. God is so good. Oh. Let me share this and I'll be done. Deliverance can come despite our doubt. <laughs> I just look down at verse 12. Peter gets out, he's out on the street. His angel leaves him. He's like, I guess I am free. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate. It's Peter! Oh my gosh, it's Peter! Goodness gracious! And reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that he was there. And they kept saying "It is an angel. Like if you don't think there's anything funny in the Bible, you, you're missing that. <laughs> you know, there's not Rhoda. I think it means rosebud, literally that name. If there's Rhoda here, maybe you can tell me. To. Rhoda, go, go out to the gate. We're busy praying for Peter's freedom. <laughs> it's Peter. It's Peter. Quiet, Rhoda. We're praying for Peter's freedom. Yeah, I know. It's Peter. I'm telling you, it's not Peter. It's an angel. Because we're praying for Peter's freedom. Listen, listen. Ask yourself this question. I believe that Herod had more faith at that moment than the church. Because he believed Peter could get free. He put 16 guards around him. But the church, they're praying and they're saying, Yeah, be quiet. We're praying for Peter. Yeah, he's at the gate. Aren't you glad that God hears the prayers of us when our prayers are flawed and light in faith? Right, but God is still kind. Cornelius, remember, Peter said to Cornelius that God's heard your prayers. He's not even a believer. That's why in Luke 18, Dr. Luke writes this. Same scribe that scribed down the book of Acts. He tells us that Jesus told them a parable, and he told them that to pray always and not, does anybody know what it says? Lose heart. Just keep at it. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when you feel like you're a doubter, you feel discouraged, you're a bit disillusioned, keep praying. Because deliverance can come despite our doubt. Take away. Look down to verse 18. My time's gone. Look down to verse 18. Peter's freed, and Herod's not happy. Herod is not happy. And he kills the guys who are guarding him. He's not going to be made to look like a fool. I don't know Herod, I don't know where the guy went, we were here, we were right here and everything, he woke up and he wasn't chained to us anymore. They die. And he's angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. I don't have time to unpack this, but Herod has this magnificent place called uh, Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea. Maritima means by the sea. And it's along the Mediterranean coast and Tyre and Sidon are also two ports and and, and, and Herod doesn't want those two ports to get really established because he is a narcissist, an egomaniac, and he wants Caesarea to be the, 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 the jewel of the Mediterranean coast. And they're not giving him enough deference. And he doesn't like that. When you see Herods in the Bible, they're generally guys that come completely apart. And there's lots of them in the Bible. Look down to verse 23. What happens to Herod, the architect of all this? And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. He was eaten by worms. Josephus writes about this in Josephus' writing. He believed, Josephus writes that he got some kind of parasite and it just ate his guts out. Okay, he's not attacked by giant worms, if that's what you think, I want you to look carefully at verse 24 if you have your Bible there. But the word of God did what? Increased and multiplied. Increased and multiplied. Herod was struck down with this horrible, rotting issue in his stomach, and he died there. A.D. 44, historians tell us. Herod was a self-centered, self-involved, big shot with a big mouth. He was a power broker in the neighborhood, but he was simply a puppet in Rome. When arrogant, under-recognized, and insolent leaders receive too little attention and appreciation, they look for people to intimidate. That becomes their modus operandi. And all of those kinds of leaders, whether they're political or sports or entertainment or academic, all of those leaders end up in the same place. Ultimately, they're eaten by worms because everybody goes out feet first, right? And you look around our world at all of these big shots, And these narcissistic, self-centered, when your life is about self, listen, if your life becomes about self, you will live in a world of what-ifs and should-ofs. Because you're the one that has to feed your own significance. The reality is, you as a follower of Jesus and me as a follower of Jesus, we're actually worm food too, except that we look forward to a resurrection, amen? Two things, and I'm done. Persecution often precedes kingdom expansion. Remember that, church? We see that all over the place. If you want to read about that, read about the Boxer Rebellion in China caused the church to explode there as dozens of missionaries were murdered. Persecution often precedes kingdom expansion. And so there's a corollary to this question for you as we finish. Will I choose to be an instrument or a detriment? Will I embrace the persecution and tough times, stand for truth, Whatever the tough time is that you're going through, you may feel persecuted with a health issue. You may feel persecuted with a work issue, with a relation, family issue. And you you may feel like, you know what, I'm getting hammered here. You can choose whether you're going to allow yourself to be an instrument to the Lord or you're going to be a detriment to the message. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot... Live a Herod life, self involved, uh, prosperity, your own personal glory, wealth. You cannot live a Herod life and hope for a Peter or James legacy. Doesn't go together. Does not go together. So choose this day who you will serve. Will you choose to be an instrument regardless of what comes in the days ahead or even today? Or will you be a detriment? to the glorious message of the Lord Jesus. Father God, we love you. Father, thank you that on the road to freedom, we can see bumps and detours and all of that, but we don't have to lose heart. We trust you in this and in every way. Amen and amen.